Uh, hi, this is Charlotte Pierce, the producer of Ready Row USA. Uh, there's my byline. Um, I am here with three of my favorite rowers, athletes, coaches. Um, one of them I coach or coaches me online. Uh, Akhil is our, our uh, guest from Hydro, and he's an Olympic athlete. Uh, does many other things, including, uh, I believe, software engineering at Hydro. Is that? That yeah. is correct. That is You're, correct. I, so you're in the presence of a cyber cyber rower. Um, we also have uh, Jim Dietz and Mark Wilson from All American Rowing Camp. Been actually around the world with with their camp, and um, we are really happy to have them here. We what we. We're thinking about doing today is talking about rowing clubs, but I I think I can guarantee that um, these guys will digress into some really fun stories. So <laughs> is uh, we're we're ready for that. But I just wanted to make make sure you know a little bit about Ready Row USA. Um, we've we see that rowing changes lives in all our our various you know, activities around rowing. And we're, we started this podcast and live stream to connect and collaborate with the rowing community. We are, go from boat houses to master rowing, to beginner rowing, to legends and vendors and people that make the equipment that we use. We love rowing. We love talking about rowing, <laughs> advocating for inclusion and diversity in the sport and hanging out with rowers like Mark, Jim, and Akil. So I'm going to go back and do some magic in the background. I'm going to, uh, at the end, I'll show you some of the um, sponsors. We have um, sponsors from Sykes USA and Burnham Boat Slings. So you guys can take it away and I'll, I'll do that thing in the back. How did, how did you guys get that? Yeah, that fancy background there. That's what I want to know. Mark, Mark, I just he, I just figured tricky. that out, Akil. I just figured that out. <laughs> so, yeah, you you techno guys, you know, you don't have anything on us over here, right? Yeah. So, hey, uh, I'm gonna kind of ask some questions, and I'm gonna let Jim and Akil um, kind of roll with most of the most of the answers. We'll just kind of rotate around a little bit about clubs and and rowing in the United States. I think we'll start. We'll stay with our topic today. Um, but why don't we start with just kind of an intro to where you both as uh, Olympians got your start. Which club did you start rowing at, when, where, and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your first your first coach as well. Mm. So he'll go right ahead. What is it, uh, beauty Beauty before age or age before yeah, beauty? That's I, it. You got I, I, don't, I don't know which one is which here, Mark. You, you set, you set me up for failure. Um, now, uh, I got my start in Washington, D.C. at Woodrow Wilson High School. So I started rowing in high school, my, my senior year of high school. And it was uh, Joe Shuttleworth was, was, my, uh, was my first first coach, my first rowing coach. And he had the unfortunate uh, task of dealing with me, who was a, a pretty good athlete at the time, but didn't know how to put an oar in the water. And I think that one of the things that uh, that I am always grateful for is the is the varsity guys who suffered for months of me rowing extremely poorly, uh, but just 
hauling on it uh, until I actually learned how to row. And I think that 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 for me, that was very important because I always viewed rowing as a sport that wasn't, you know, ah, athletes don't row uh, until I started doing it. And um, to be able to be in a position where I got to row with some guys who were who were pretty good or at least knew how to row uh, really set me up to enjoy the sport, I think, pretty quickly. Yeah. Awesome. So that was your first uh, first in high school as a senior. You were at Woodrow Wilson. That's awesome. Jim, when did you start rowing? I started when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I was lucky enough that uh, my high school was affiliated under the umbrella of the New York Athletic Club. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jack Soldier was our coach, and and he was considered the Pied Piper of rowing club people back in the day. And his motivation was to start as many high school and colleges around him to be a feeder system for the New York Athletic Club. And the strategy worked. I mean, he started St. Helena's Blessed Sacrament, Norishell High School. He started St. John's, Iona, Fordham, uh, Kings Point, Merchant Marine Academy, Stony Brook. And uh, all those guys rode through the club. And then in the summers, they rode for the New York AC. So we were a very powerful club. Back in the day when the New York AC actually produced athletes, They just didn't finance them as they are today. Uh, I think most of the people representing the New York Athletic Club on the Olympic level today don't even know where the boathouse is. So that's a shame because I think you get more kids involved like we were involved in. Like Charlotte said early in the show, it it changed my life, changed a lot of the guys that I rode with lives, you know, and, you know, some of those guys are just getting out of coaching today as well. So. They've been in it for a good 50 plus years. Yeah, I think the the commonality between both of your stories is that the opportunity was given and the coach was there and didn't have any preconceptions of really anything other than wanting more people to row, right? I mean, mm-hmm. wanted wanted Akil and the rest of his team to row, wanted Jim and all the folks around New York City to row. And uh, I was the same, same sort of thing. I started rowing at University of Wisconsin and my story is there was 200 boys up on the uh, dock the first afternoon and the coach never made a cut all season long, but through self-attrition, there were 12 of us left at the end of the year. That's, you know? right. that's the way it goes. And that's the way it goes. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People but, weed themselves uh, in. Right. And my first coach was uh, Dave Kusick, who uh, just retired from Purdue University this mm-hmm. summer. And, uh, you know, he never made a cut. And I think that's just a great thing. So all of us have similar stories. And I'm sure many, many people around the country have that have that uh, mm-hmm. that same same story. So, Akil, tell us a little bit about some of the clubs that that yeah. you enjoy uh, rowing from uh, mm-hmm. visiting and uh, and why, you know, just any yeah. any place that you've been, you've been everywhere. I'm well, sure. Let me just back up a, a minute, because although I started rowing at Wilson and then went on to row at George Washington University, it was Potomac Boat Club that really sort of uh, formed, uh, you know, was could be considered foundational in my development. Uh, you know, I was there for development camps in the summer. Uh, Tony Johnson uh, decided that I should skull. In fact, his uh, direct quote was, Akil, we've got a lot of good guys coming to row. I'm going to, to have you do some sculling. And uh, it, yeah, it was it was really the best thing that ever happened. I mean, I think I was in the I was in like the 
you know, I was in the top 16 guys there, but, you know, um, and, and, but, you know, the sculling really took my rowing to another level. Uh, and I think that foundational at that time, you know, sort of as uh, Jim alluded to, was this idea that we were building, you were building athletes that would go on to, to represent the club and then possibly go on to represent the country. And, um, and you know, it was just the sort of the camaraderie. And I think the thing that was done really well uh, at, at Potomac at that time was uh, providing a, 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 an environment where the athletes could succeed. Now, there were some things that I, you know, I didn't agree with, but you know, mostly just along uh, the lines of, of of how much I had to pay. But um, but that's but we found resources, you know, there too. And I think that that is sort of what was really helpful for my career. Um, but then, where do I love to row? Oh man, there's so many clubs. I think you know, definitely, I, I love rowing out of Leander. Uh, I'm sure it's Jim can uh, attest mm -hmm. to. Um, but uh, I think that um, one of the clubs that I actually, boathouses that I actually really attribute to sort of me making the jump to the next level was uh, Northeastern. I rode All out right. of the Northeastern Boathouse. Yeah, and um, it was great. Uh, basically what happened was Jamie Coven moved up to uh, Boston and uh, in 99 and I said, ah, I wanna go, you know, can I come train with you, Jamie? And he said, sure. I had. I had basically no money. I had uh, all I had. I was lucky to have a job because of where I worked. Knew someone in Boston. I was able to get a job. I came up. Didn't know where I was going to live, but I just moved up there. And then someone talked to someone else, and they said, "Akil, you can put your boat here at Northeastern." And I would row from Northeastern to meet Jamie at Riverside. We would work out, and then I would I would uh, row back to Northeastern. You know, so I had just to get to where we were going to work out, I had to like row that extra distance. And I really attribute that all the steady state work that I did to rowing out of Northeastern. But, you know, it was really uh, great to, to, you know, that that's how it it works. You know, like people provide opportunities for you um, and with with not with asking nothing in return. You know, like I didn't pay anything to Northeastern. They just said, here's a guy that wants to row, has some talent, needs a place to put his boat boom, it's done. And I think that that's really, for me, like what makes a boathouse, that community, that, that, that just that story to me is like one that I love to tell. I, I, I mention that a lot when I'm talking at, at different events for at different clubs, you know, the, the welcoming aspect of the clubs in, in that matter. And, you know, uh, whether it's athletes within your club or athletes coming in from other clubs, everybody seems to celebrate the success of the people on a daily basis when they're going well, you know, yeah. that, that oarsmen seem to understand and oarswomen seem to understand that there's so much work involved. And if those people are putting in that kind of work and making those strides that needs to be celebrated when, you know, they, they, they row, uh, a max 2k in pr or pr on the water or win a, a a particular race that they've been shooting for you know i every, everybody is very supportive in our sport that way i don't think it's selfish at all yeah i mean i think that i think that it is it's interesting i think that some of the work we have to do is it in, in in our clubs is to sort of make it uh a bit more welcoming and i say that in the sense that you know, um, 
I always use this as, as, as sort of a benchmark. When you walk into the YMCA, you lay down some money or you, you say, I want to go play basketball or I want to swim, right? And so then when you go into boat clubs, you know, I, I remember when, when I was Akil Abdullah and people knew, oh, that's Akil Abdullah. He was on the national team. I walk into boathouses, no problem. Like, oh, yeah, come on in. But before I was Akil Abdullah, and I don't think that this had particularly anything to do with my race. It was like, uh, excuse me, how can I help you here? And I think that that's sort of the, I, I agree with you, Jim, that like once it's like we need to help this person get to a specific place, boom, it's like our community is very supportive. But I think that initial, like, how do you do is the place where we can work yeah. to make our yeah. clubs better. Mm -hmm. I would I would agree with you. I've been I've traveled and, you know, Jim and I have done been doing camps now for 20, 21, coming up on 22 years. And we've literally been to hundreds of clubs around the country and worked with thousands of people. And obviously, when we come in, we're invited and so on. But I can you know, you often do kind of ask around. It's like, how? How how do how do you do new people? How how do new people get involved in the sport? And usually it's a very limited, very controlled manner through a learn to road day or some specific thing, rather than, well, hey, why don't you just come on out and ride the launch with the coach today? You know, instead of, well, you need to go to a website, you need to do this, right? So I think you're right, Akil. I think that's a great thing. And I would yeah. encourage all the clubs in the country um, that have programming just to invite people to come to a program and watch. You know, you don't have yeah. to Exactly. Yeah, you don't have to get on the board. You don't have to ask for a waiver, right? You know. Yeah. So, so try to make yourself. I guess if you're listening out there and you have a, and you're in a club, um, think about how new people are uh, welcomed and how new how you're recruiting people. Because obviously, every club in the country, almost every club in the country, is trying to get more people rowing. Right. That's that's kind of the usually the mantra. I've I've been to a several clubs where they say, "Yeah, we've got enough." Um, but that's very rare. It, it happens, but it's very rare where we say, yeah, we've got enough rowers. You know, we don't really want any more. Yeah. But those are the ones that are kind of small and, and uh, you know, one person leaves, they, they try to replace it with a one to one kind of thing. But I think the idea of just encouraging people to come ride in the launch or, uh, you know, sit on an erg or explore the boathouse or if you have tanks, you know, hey, let me show you the tanks and see how this works. Here's an oar. Uh, this is what it feels like. You know, that that sort of thing would be great. So. Well, the knowledge that I have after 35 years of coaching collegiately is that some of the people that you allow onto your team that don't look like athletes at all tend to be, be the biggest supporters of your team in the long run. I mean, you know, the gals that I had rowing in my leper colony four, which is the last four people in the squad, they're the ones that were writing the biggest checks back to that mm. program years later because they got so much out of being part of that team. You know, so it's not all about performance. It's it's about creating a community. Yeah, that's and, and that's the boathouse, the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the club, the club, and I think that's what we all want to be remembering of whether or not we're in a master's club or a junior's club or a combined club or a collegiate or a high performance club um, is to be thinking that uh, different people advance at different um, stages. You know, some people are, they click it right away and they grab an oar and they know exactly what to do. And then there's, there's most of everybody else where it takes a little while. And that learning curve can be kind of long and, and, um, it can take a little while. So keep people excited, keep people uh, engaged, keep people 
uh, coming back for the next day. I think it's great. So mm -hmm. what's up, uh, Akil, what's one of the clubs maybe that you've uh, traveled to, visited, um, mm. that is here in the United States that's that's kind of maybe a, you know, a, a favorite, that not, not one that you've been a, um, a member of, but just one yeah. that you've gone and visited? Um, you know, it's, 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 I've, <laughs> I'm thinking of, uh, you know, I rode, I rode in Austin. I really, I really liked rowing down there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's just, maybe it's the sun, maybe it's the people, uh, but you know, the walk down that long dock, you know, that hill, um, it was, it's just a, a, a lovely place. Maybe it's place the coffee me. shop up above where you can get a nice latte after practice. Yeah. That's all nice too. It's all, all <laughs> nice, all nice. Although I will tell you, I love the fact that when I go to Philadelphia, there's uh, there's usually an actual working bar in uh, most of the boat clubs to get a beer. And yeah. I think that the, the important thing about that is, uh, is that, uh, it's it's a place where you just can like sit down and that that's where the community can be built right like that's sort of so i love i i i want to steer away from naming a particular boat club that i love because i'm sure i will my inbox will be filled um <laughs> but <laughs> but what i love are boat houses that have other ways to build community other ways to engage people to sort of build that third place where people come outside of work and home where they get together and they celebrate whether that's their rowing whether that's some kids you know communion whether that's some you know kick in school like that to me is where we where where the sport what i see in the sport that can really help to build a community yeah it's a place where you can hang out, right? I mean, it's yeah. a, it's it's literally the clubhouse, right? Yeah. It's, whether yeah. it's the whether it's the bar or whether it's a uh, a lounge or whether it's the you know the apron on the, of the boathouse uh, bays, looking out at the water flowing by, it's whatever. Um, having that welcoming again community aspect and a, and a place where there you just feel at ease, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's that's really nice when we finish up doing some camps here in florida um down here it's like you just want to stay because the it, the view's so good you know and it's like yeah. and everybody's hanging out and everything but but then the mosquitoes come out down here in the winter time and then we got to leave you know but that's part of it too. when you got yeah. that nice community boathouse though with the bar and stuff i mean uh you know, some of them even have restaurants in them. I'm thinking more of the yeah. ones in Europe, yeah. but you know, those are the clubs where the masters hang around to become volunteer coaches and start working with the kids, you know, and that's, that's a resource that we've lost the keel since when I started rowing. When I started rowing back 58 years ago, there was no masters rowing. The masters yeah. in the boathouse were older guys that just wanted to continue rowing and they're, they're, their paying it forward was that they were going to be volunteer coaches for the high school kids that were there and, and whatever. Then masters rowing took off and masters think about their own racing and a little yeah. less about the kids. I think you got to throw that emphasis back on the kids because that's, what's going to keep our sport strong and growing. Yeah. You know, the yeah. more, the more junior programs we start out there, the more regattas and things that we have. I mean, you know, you look at how the head of the Charles and the head of the Schuylkill and the other regattas have grown over the years. I mean, uh, we had right. the uh, reunion of the 1980 Olympic crew the night before the head of the Charles. So 40 years after our boycott year, we yeah. had 
together. And Carol Brown, who is one of the members of that team, is still working with the USOC. And when she told the people at the USOC, yeah, I'm going to re a reunion of my Olympic team, they were like, you're what? She yeah. Like, oh, other sports don't do that. Yeah. If you look at our sport, not only at the Olympic level, but at these head races and stuff, you're having reunions of college crews and high school crews. You know, I think that's something special to our sport. That yeah. community sticking together after all those years. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's funny. It's that we were talking about, I was talking about PBC, but that's one of the things every Friday night, we used to hang out on the roof deck, mm -hmm. you know, maybe eating, big, eating crabs, eating crabs, the crab, you know, the crab fest, uh, regatta, <laughs> you know, doing those things. But like, that's the type of thing that, that, that makes boathouses thrive and makes clubs yeah. thrive. And in particular, I'm thinking about, you know, something that you said, like over in Europe, where you bring the family to those events, right? And so you don't force rowing on your kids. Your kids are just around it and then they start rowing. And that right. keeps sort of the longevity going rather than, oh, I gotta go down here, I'm training and then I'm going to work. And then it's sort of, you know, yeah, I'll come to an event or two, but it's just not that sort of curation that, that I think that was there in the past. For, for the decade that the New York Athletic Club was powerful, when you went off to a, a national regatta, the entire family came. Everybody, yeah. it was it was very much that that big circus feel that everybody in the club was going and bringing all their kids and everything else. And and you're right, you know the the kids going to the regattas back in those days, they saw the fastest scholars and the fastest crews in the country. I mean, you would see Don Sparrow, you know, who was a world champion in the single, you know, at at the local regattas, the guys from Vesper, the guys from Potomac, Johnson, Edmonds, all of those guys, you know, for for our kids to see the top in our country, they can aspire to be the top in our country. And for a long time, we moved away from that with having separate championships. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it, it would behoove us to get back in that mode where you're seeing the top people, you know, I'm sure even in New Zealand, Mahio Drysdale yeah. would be seen at all the different local events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's an interesting point because, you know, I remember sort of, <clears throat> I talk about, you know, my rowing career in a sort of the non-traditional way. I bumped around, I rode in Augusta, uh, you know, I rode in Princeton, I rode in DC, I rode in Boston, uh, San Diego. And, um, you know, during the time that I was actually trying to get to that elite level, uh, I've raced all summer at every regatta, you know, like I went to Canadian Henley, I went to U.S. Nationals, I went to Independence Day regatta, I just raced. And then I remember when I sort of like made it to the national team level, like maybe having like three or four races a year. And I'm just like thinking like, wow, like all. Of, so like what you're saying, the opportunity to see people, to see people in the sport definitely is something that 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 that. I, I, I wax nostalgically about. But you were learning to race at all those regattas. And I think that's a limitation of our national system today. That, mm -hmm. you know, guys that are going to make the national team in the eights and the fours and whatever, they're not racing every weekend. I mean, we raced every weekend and we learned from those races and you actually raced yourself into shape. Same thing yeah. with going to Europe. You'd go over to Europe, you'd do the circuit, You'd understand your boat speed and, you know, how to, how to proceed through a race to get the best out of it, you know. And, you know, 
this past Olympics, obviously because of COVID, our people probably didn't didn't race until they got to the Olympics. You know, I, yeah. I think I think you lose a lot of the fun when you're yeah. when you're not out there banging heads every weekend. Yeah. So what? Uh, mm-hmm. Let me let me ask another uh, another quick question. You kind of we went right into the events side of things. Name some of the both of you guys. Name some of the most fun, maybe unique events that clubs put on mm. uh, that you either participated in or not. Yes. You know, you didn't have to participate in them. But what are some of the fun events that people that clubs put on that you guys enjoy? Uh, I'll, I, take, I'll take. Oh, go that ahead. Go that, ahead. You know, uh, for us, every Sunday morning at the New York Athletic Club, the coach was a master of seating. So he would have maybe 15 plus single scholars at a starting line. It start the slowest guy first and the fastest guy last. And when you got to the finish line, it was a traffic jam because he was so good on, on, on the seating that all the boats were coming across the line. But every week you were being evaluated within your group as to how you were doing. And the other trick there was if you beat a guy, you could move into his boat, you know, if there were club boats. You know? So that was fun. Yeah. I, I was going to say, we spoke about one, the Crab Feast Regatta at PBC. Uh, definitely when it was going on, the Red Bull Challenge out of Riverside was- That was uh, fun. I can was, remember was, going and watching it. was really though. fun steak rice. Yeah. Uh, definitely uh, in Putney, you can't leave out the Green Mountainhead steak race, man. That That is just so much it fun being up there. Yeah. Um, they're uh, just like, you know, um, I could, oh man. Uh, so what, makes, what, what makes some of those events fun? What, what's the ingredients? So if somebody's out there listening, yeah. Uh, yeah. what are some of those ingredients that make a good event like that? Oh, obviously the crabs at the crab fest regatta. Um, you, you know, you, you have you have to have a thing. What's the thing? You know, like the maple syrup of the of the the Green Mountain Head, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. the fact that you're in the cornfield. It's it's it is it is it is it is the it is the uh, the spectacle. Let's go back to Roman times. You want a good regatta, you have to have a spectacle, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that in all the ones that are named, there's some spectacle. You know, even the I, go ahead. Where, where I'm seeing that now is in the coastal racing. Have you been up to the Blackburn Challenge? I haven't been up there yet. That's sort you of gotta, next. You got to go up to the Blackburn Challenge. Uh, James has raced it. I'll bring you a boat if you want to do it with him. 26 right. miles around Cape Ann. Oh, What's yeah, yeah, yeah. What's about it is it's for everybody. Somebody might yeah. be in a kayak. Somebody might be on a paddleboard. Somebody might be in a fixed seat whale boat type of thing. It's like any craft that will go – and they start the slower boats first and the fastest boats later. So they, they do have different classes. But what makes it a great event is everybody finishes on a beach. You pull your boat up onto the beach. There's a big tent on the beach. In the tent is beer, barbecue, and a band. And <laughs> it's, just, it's just that community again that you're getting around to where yeah. all these people are outdoor people that just love being there. Like running a marathon, you're happy you completed your your voyage around Cape Ann without hitting too many crab pots or, or lobster pots. And you have a few beers and everybody's happy. You know, yeah. there's no losers in a situation like that. Yeah, yeah. 
And I, I think that you that's the so so Mark to your point that's the that's the common thread to me in 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 um in all of the regattas that that you know I mean we could go over to the Heineken Cup in you know mm -hmm. as well like there's just something that is that everybody looks forward to right there you, of course you're there to race and some people are there to like they have to win but for everyone there's something and I think mm -hmm. that that's sort of what is key to pulling off a good regatta. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that is uh, interesting in both of your answers is it's not necessarily a standard traditional um, 2K or 1K. Right. I, and I think yeah. a lot of times we get kind of people in clubs, they get kind of hamstrung in, well, we got to do this. Or we got to do this. Or we got to have lanes. We got to have this. You know, it's like, no, you just need to have a well thought out on the water, safe event that a lot of people can come and participate in. It what does, yep. doesn't have to be uh, any specific distance. It doesn't have to, it, the stake race that you're explaining. People, you know, some people don't know what a stake race is, but I mm -hmm. think that's great. Um, and then the the longer distance stuff. I enjoy the half marathon distance. I think that's mm -hmm. a great distance. You can get it done in about a, you know an hour and a half. It's not going to take you all day, and it's a lot of fun depending on the waterway that you do. Uh, but just putting on a putting on that post row. Uh, show with uh, some local music, having some food, having that community atmosphere, having a place where people can sit and enjoy and talk and meet new friends and enjoy old ones. Right. That's what we're all yep. that's what we're all about. So I would encourage clubs out there uh, listening, watching to to be brainstorming a little bit and then and then don't don't give away the fun, you know, most people try to put on an event that's going to become a, some sort of a fundraiser and that's okay. You know, charge a little something and, and make, make it fun. Don't overcomplicate things. And, uh, you know, just put down the basics that are going to make a safe, fun, uh, rememberable event. And then maybe a keel or Jim will come up and, uh, show up. Who knows? <laughs> you know, it'll be great. <laughs> So, we did have a question. Um, Charlotte, can you put that question back up on the bottom of the screen for these guys? Yeah, great conversations. How do you see the value of adding coastal rowing to your community clubs and to university rowing uh, programs? And how can this be accomplished? I, I think it's a win-win situation. First of all, the, the technical rowing stroke that you would perform in a, in a high-end racing shell is exactly the same stroke that you're going to perform in a coastal boat. The beauty of the coastal boats is they're much more stable. So mm -hmm. there, there you're not getting out there rowing defensively with a boat banging back and forth. You're able to take better strokes. So from a club standpoint, having coastal boats, coastal singles, doubles, and quads, you're going to be able to train people to take better strokes because they're not going to have to worry about the balance as much. So you have those boats as training boats, but you also have those boats as racing boats that can go out and do whatever the beach sprints or the, the longer distance races. You know, I, I really think it's a win-win and, and the coastal boats are so much more affordable. You know? the, the other thing, and, and Jim's saying coastal, and a lot of people are seeing this new uh, impetus, you know, from, from coastal. But as, as we have all, the three of us have traveled to Europe, the other boat class that is, doesn't really get mentioned enough is the gig. Right. And the touring gig quad or the gig doubles or even the threes that are out there, those are fantastic boats. And again, they're a little, they're less expensive. Um, they're really nice to row and you can row them on any, really any body of water in various conditions. 
So yes. when oftentimes we're in a position where we're trying to find the calmest, flattest, most serene water, uh, which everybody enjoys rowing on, oftentimes that's not really conducive all year, all year long and or uh, all day long. So there's, you know, don't, don't be afraid to look at a gig option as well. For All American Rowing Camp, we now have two gig quads, uh, Cox quads, and uh, they're fantastic. And we've added doubles. We've got a coastal double. We're adding coastal singles, and we're getting some other boats uh, from Glideboat, um, Glideboat, which are made in the UK, which are um, similar to the coastal, but again, but they're made out of uh, rotomolded plastic, and they're super inexpensive, but row great and and a great way to get people involved. So think gig, think coastal, think uh, a little outside of the box. And then um, these events like uh, the uh, Blackburn Challenge that Jim said, those are going to be open to other watercraft as well. So it's not just rowing craft, but there they'll have stand-up paddle boards, you'll have canoes, kayaks, uh, surf skis, and other things that can get out there and enter, you know, make that community of your boathouse or program even, even bigger. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's, I think, I agree with all of that. <clears throat> I think there's definitely some challenges uh, from <clears throat> at the college level, and, and Jim could probably speak more <laughs> to that, but of, of adding coastal a coastal program. Um, but I think that it, it, one of the things that I am searching for in sort of my uh, payback to the sport is how do we keep the sport relevant, you know? And I think that more ways for people to enjoy the sport uh, is is a good thing. And so, you know, we have to figure out how we integrate coastal rowing into our community uh, clubs and and, 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 and boathouses. Uh, so I think that that's, that's it's, a, it's an important component. Uh, I think that, you know, um, in terms of racing, uh, you know, you can row them anywhere, but I think it's nice to be near a place where you can actually be sort of the, get that, the, the sort of open water experience as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you think about our country, you know, we've got coasts on either side, you know, and you don't have to go very far from where you're living outside of Boston. Uh, yeah. You know, that those high school programs there that are just rowing and, and racing shells are losing a lot of their spring season because of yeah. the sea breezes that come in. You know, I mean, yeah. out on Cape Cod, myself and Al Flanders out in Orleans, you know, we'll just take those boats and we'll throw them in anywhere on the Cape in the afternoons when it is choppy and go out and have a great experience touring around, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was telling Al uh, before I left uh, Massachusetts last week that this summer we have to get his kids that are about as old as your kids, get them out in, in, in these gig boats and we'll just go yeah. crabbing and stuff, you know, just let's get a row out there. And we'll go crabbing off the boats, you know, let the kids have fun. Yeah, another thing I do is like I I got a I got a oar board. I got that's basically a stand up paddle board that has a a rowing mount on it. Oh yeah, uh -huh. and, and that's been pretty good. I I feel comfortable putting the kids out on the the Ipswich River with that. Yeah. At least my own, not my son. He he'll jump out of the boat. And who knows what he'll do? <laughs> James did that too, but it didn't kill him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll mention that when we wrote together this afternoon. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. you go. <laughs> it, there was another question, and then I think we're going to be wrapping up here pretty soon. But there's another question. I think this is a really good one. And Jim and I were actually just talking about this about two hours ago. So the question is from Sinead, how can we capture the impetus of hydro and get people, these people out of the house and onto the water? And, uh, you know, that's something that is is 
great. You know, I was on the phone with a lady this morning who lives in Connecticut, who's rode over 4 million meters on her hydro, yeah. loves you guys, loves James, yeah. loves you, loves all everything about the hydro. But now what does she want to do? She wants, wants to row, right? Wants to get on a boat. So I will guarantee anybody listening here that uh, between James, Jim Sr. here and uh, Akil over here and James Jr., we're going to get some people and get some opportunities to get um, an organized group of people from Hydro out there on the water. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to tease you with that because I know we're going to do it and uh, we'll, we'll make it happen. So anybody listening that's got a Hydro wants to learn how to row uh, out on the water, we will make that happen. I guarantee it. Yeah, you know Charlotte's going to eat that up, even though she's already on the water. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that. <laughs> the, the other part about this is that, like, I view the sort of world of connected fitness and connected rowing in particular as such a great thing for our sport, because you know I tell people we had we probably had like thirty, I would say. 30,000, and I'm, maybe I'm undercounting, people who were at least interested in rowing at the Olympics because they had sat down on a hydro, connected with me, connected with Danny, connected with James, connected with the rest of our athletes, and are now interested in the sport. We have countless members who have started rowing, their rowing adventure. I get, where can I learn to row? What should I do to get my kid on the water? And I think that this is part of what we were talking about earlier, welcoming. How do people get welcomed to the sport? And if they yeah. have that experience, then they're excited about it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I think we're going to leave it right there. I know um, if that's okay with you, Akil. Yeah. Is that Sounds okay good. with you, Jim? Yeah. Akil right. needs can... to take a nap before he works out with James tonight because I don't want him to lag behind. And I know <laughs> and I know how these conversations can go, but unfortunately we don't have a beer in our hands right now. And uh, we've got to work out and we've got some more work to do down here getting ready for All-American Rowing Camp. Akil's got his job to do he's got to go figure out how to teach people how to row out there on the water yeah, and teach james how to teach row. james how to row <laughs> and uh and charlotte's gonna wrap us up here but i want to thank everybody i want to thank akil and jim for being here and uh this is great so yeah no, this is no, great. no super formal topic here but you know what i think we covered a lot of really good things and uh akil your insight is fantastic so thanks for joining us yeah, Thank I like you. it when you guys get into like what makes a great rowing club or a great experience for, for people that walk into a rowing club. So thank you so much. Um, once again, Akil Abdullah from Hydro and Mark Wilson from All-American Rowing Camp and Jim Dietz from All-American Rowing Camp and many other <laughs> aspects of rowing around through the, through the years and uh, continuing. He's a big advocate of coastal rowing too, which I've started to uh, pursue. Um, our sponsors include Sykes USA, wonderful company, great um, customer service, amazing people. Uh, Fabio Selvig is uh, representing them in the US. It's a Australian company. And I think, uh, Kiel, I think one of the hydro athletes, Mike Dostal, used to, he said, he passed me with my Sykes boat the other day, and he said, I used to row those <laughs> when he started out. Um, and Burnham Boat Slings is another sponsor, recent sponsor. And again, I really love their customer service. They treat everyone like a like a valued person and customer. And they great company. Yes, I just 
they love talking about rowing too. You can just go by their booth at the regattas and just, you know, hang out all day pretty much. Um, my uh, web designer is good inkling. She does way more than I pay her for because she just loves, I don't know, she just does. And um, I love the site that she just did for me at readyrowusa.com. Uh, we'd like to uh, give people some of the, the giveaways that our, customer, or our, our, our guests are offering for our third year anniversary and 100th episode, which I forgot to say was kind of the theme this month. We're going to have about six episodes, many different guests from places that people like American Rowing Camp and uh, Hydro and we have Nick Karwaski coming on. We have people from NK Sports. We have Marnie Schroer from Spokane River Rowing Association. She's a member out there. And uh, so we're just sampling a, a, a little bit of the community this month and celebrating being grateful for uh, all of our listeners. Um, so this is the 14th, uh, 2 p.m. is Tom Siddall and Ryan Wirth, who uh, works with with Mark and Jim at All American and represents glide boats in the US. Um, the NK Sports guys on the 15th, um, the 28th. Oops, I'm flipping, I'm flipping, I'm flipping. Help. Oh, God. Um, anyway, yeah, here they are. The 29th is Allie Abrams of uh, JL Racing and Jell uh, Green of Gel Pads, who makes these wonderful. Um, let me just get myself. We caught, we thought Jill had a had a row back in the day. She was a rower at SMU. So you make sure you say hi to to her from uh, Mark and Jim. Oh, I sure will. Yeah, she I came, think she, she mentioned that a, when she I came to a couple of our camps. But she got my she, she made this for me. Yeah, for, she's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I just love it so much. I'm not going to sit on it. I think, but <laughs> going to put it on my wall. <laughs> Um, and then December 30th, we have Nick and all these people are offering um, some wonderful uh, giveaways and discounts. Nick's offering a discount on his Tag Along with a Pro project, which has targeted training programs. And I think uh, Akil knows about that probably. Um, we also want to highlight what's going on at your club. So this, this episode is a lot about uh, rowing clubs and what makes a great rowing club. We'd like to, you know, hear what you're doing. And like, if even if you're just a waterside club or if a humble club or, or a very posh one down on on a Boathouse Row and Schuylkill, um, we'd, we'd like to hear what works for you. And uh, so there's a form on our website where you can put in, you know, we'll, and we'll feature you on the podcast, uh, live stream and podcast gadgets and gear, please, please um, send us in what works for you. And I think we're going to end up with the three of you, what your favorite rowing gadgets, gear, or, or services are. It can be a $5 Mark, gadget. You, you can go first on that one, Mark. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite gadget. It's, is it that riser, the seat riser? Now it's my, oh. I think my favorite is my good old fashioned cone plastic megaphone with the hack is the wooden handle that I've mm -hmm. screwed onto the megaphone. So two, my wrist stays flat when I'm talking, I can extend it as I wish. So it's kind of like a pistol grip. Let me there, kind of like that 
pour like I'm holding a cup of coffee. And the other nice thing about it with the wooden handle is that then the megaphone mm-hmm. floats. So Ooh. it does not sink. And I've lost plenty because of not having that nice wooden handle. So and that's, my little, that Jim that's my little rowing hack that I've created for myself. I'm told that Jim Dietz doesn't even need a megaphone. Not usually. <laughs> nope, he does not. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> right, my, favorite, right. my favorite uh, rowing thing is the 716th wrench. I'm very simple. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Old school. Yeah. Um, I would say my favorite hack comes actually a la Charlie Butt when we were tuning up for the uh, 2004 Olympics. He took L brackets and put them on the bottom of our oars to, get us, to keep our oars off the water at one point. Wow. So the good old L bracket. Uh, I, I, I think of what Charlie did to uh, the, the lightweight double that year. He was actually pulling them behind his launch. Yeah. Trying to get yeah. them to get quick catches, you know, and I thought, whoa, this <laughs> Charlie goes places. He does. Yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah, he does. Like, well, listen, the, uh, got... like, the, like the commercial uh, out there on TV, we've seen a thing or two. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, I right. tell you, I think these guys have seen a thing or two. So, okay, and our, our next Thanks time we get. Thanks, Charlotte. Thank Thanks, you. Charlotte. We'll right. talk to you soon. Take care, everyone. Yeah. So this guy here, Sean McCarthy, if we heard anything from